0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we have a two-part program today. First half of the show, we're going to talk with three people from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, a local food pantry that emphasizes healthful foods and habits. And during the second half of the show, we're going to be discussing the Salvation Army. So, with us in the first half of the show are Brooke Gentile, who's the executive director, Stephanie Solomon, assistant director, and Maggie Sullivan, who's a volunteer with Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. If you have questions or comments, Please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we we know a little bit about Mother Hubbard's cupboard, but we're going to find out a lot more about it today. And we
1: just like to say it.
0: And we do. (laughs) I'll probably stumble over it before the day is over. Great. Um, The uh, cupboard has been around for how long? No. We were
2: founded in 1998, March of 1998.
0: Yeah, So 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you talk a little bit about the – what sets Mother Hubbard's apart from other food pantries –
2: Absolutely. There are a lot of food pantries um, in Bloomington, in the county, and sort of in the region. What sets us apart is we are the largest food pantry in Monroe County. We're currently serving 1,550 people in need every week, almost 500 families every week. And the other thing that's quite unique about us is we're a patron's choice pantry. So we're set up quite like a grocery store. Um, And we operate on the honor system. So clients sign in, very simple sign in process. And they were receive a bag, an empty bag for each person in their household, and they can fill it with what they want from our pantry shelves. We also prioritize healthy foods. So we have a whole produce section and a whole cooler and freezer full of lots of organic dairy products and frozen prepared foods. Wow,
1: so you deal in uh, perishables
2: as well as non-perishables. Absolutely. Does that set you apart from other pantries as well? Quite often because most pantries are a little smaller and they might not have the infrastructure, the cooler facility, Mm -hmm. you know, to to keep things preserved maybe to the next day or Mm -hmm. two days later. Um, They also don't have the foot traffic that we do. You know, if we have 500 individuals come I mean, through in a single day, we can move hundreds of pounds of produce that the food bank rescues from grocery stores that would in- inevitably go to the landfill. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think that's one of the things that, that surprised me about Mother Hubbard's when I, I heard Julio Alonzo talk about um, the Hoosier Hills Food Bank's relationship with you, which is you're their biggest customer, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By quite a long shot.
2: Yeah. Last year, we distributed uh, 690,000 pounds of food that came from Hoosier Hills Food Bank, where we distributed 32% of all of the food bank's food last year. And there are about 95 agencies that go to the food bank, as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: 32% of that, and there are 95 agencies. So that's, a, that's quite a hefty chunk.
2: Yeah. We could not do what we do without the help of the food bank, that's for sure.
0: Right. So you're, uh, let's talk with Maggie as a volunteer. How would you get involved?
3: Well, I've known Brooke. I work with the Local Growers Guild, and so Brooke and I have collaborated on a couple different projects, and I've been working with Stephanie as well. And Stephanie in particular urged me to come and help in the garden project, which she's going to talk a little bit more about later. Um, But I started in February. We weren't really into the gardening groove yet, so I started helping out in the pantry, just stocking shelves and seeing how the whole thing worked. Mm -hmm. It was an eye-opening experience seeing that many people come through and everybody's super polite, super nice, but really, really needing that extra food.
0: Yeah. And, th- and this is um, that, that's another point. And, you know, Brooke made it already. But this is a place where people can come and you don't ask them whether they they don't have to be 150 percent or 200 percent of the poverty level or anything else. I mean, you, you don't ask. It's just people come and they they take what they need, right?
2: We do have a list of guidelines. We ask that each household meet at least one of the guidelines. One of the guidelines is a household meets, you know, is at 200 percent or less of the poverty level. But you could be a single parent that doesn't receive child support. You could be 55 years or older. You could have really high medical expenses. You could just basically not be able to meet expenses, basic living expenses for that month. But we do take people at their word for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, with the way things are going, gasoline's going to be at four dollars a gallon probably before the end of the weekend we We hope not, but um, and you know I just had a meeting this morning with someone from uh, the state involved with health care, and we had a program on that last last week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know everything is going up, so what 's that mean for you in terms of of the need and the number of people coming through your doors
2: um, it's we 've actually seen um, quite a significant increase just in one month. Um, so I'll try to be quite simple about this. But in, in March, um, if you look at our March statistics compared to our April statistics, we had a 44% increase in one month, um, 44% more client visits, visits that we provided um, in, in just that one month. The other thing is that we saw a 100% increase in that one month in new shoppers coming to mm-hmm. us. So in March, we had uh, 135 new shoppers come to us, people who had never been to us before. And in April, we had 362. Is that an unprecedented increase in the time you've been there? In the time I've been there, yes. Um, To have that many new shoppers in such a short time frame, yes. Uh, So you said
0: 135 in March and 362?
2: 360, yeah, more or less.
0: Wow, that's almost three times as many, right?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: That's that's an amazing increase. Yeah.
1: And yeah. and you used a phrase that I was interested in um earlier you used the phrase food insecurity. Could you tell us exactly what you mean
2: by food insecurity? Sure. Um f- Food insecurity is frequently used to refer to households that have a hard time accessing food that they need, just basic food, um, for a variety of, e- of reasons, financial, transportation, or maybe they just live in an area that doesn't have healthful food, um, and maybe the bus doesn't always get you there, maybe mm-hmm. with gas so expensive it's hard to get to it. Um, so we sort of, a, a lot of people that are experiencing this inability to get healthful food um, but also people who are sort of near the edge of experiencing that. So we're trying to bridge that gap so people don't really get into that extreme um, situation of need.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Now we need to let Stephanie say
2: something.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what you were saying was making me think I just saw – on On the back of a uh, news, I think some kind of newspaper, an ad that was showing a picture of a car and a picture of a fork, and it said, um, "Which one is using more fossil fuels and they talked about the fork and food production being a big part of that. So when you were talking about you know the raising cost of right. of gas, I was thinking about how we 're all thinking about it. In terms of our of our vehicles, but it's also, mm-hmm. I, I mean, in terms of our food security, oh, a yeah. big big deal.
0: Yeah, the impact all the way through the way we live mm-hmm. is definitely true. So, what are you guys doing about that?
4: We're growing our own food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
4: we're we have we come from two angles. One of them is that we have three. Um, organic gardens around town where we have volunteers um, and patrons and community members um, coming and using their skills and expertise to help us grow uh, healthful, um, nutritionally robust foods for the pantry. Um, But we also offer workshops um, to our patrons and community members um, in how to plant their own uh, backyard gardens. Um, So it's, it's not for us just about um, growing food for our pantry and, and giving out that food, but also giving our patrons and the people in our community the skills that they can take home, um, going back to the the victory garden mm-hmm. idea of, of having backyard gardens. So in the case of... Um, the, your own family's food insecurity, you have those skills to, to grow some of your food. Um, and we have these lawns with all the sun. I mean, we might as well learn to, to use them.
1: What about um, preserving that food? I know, you know, July, August, even mm-hmm. into September, we've got food, you know, there's jokes about the zucchini multiplying at night on their own. <laughs> but, but do you teach people also how to preserve uh, the food that they grow
4: then so they can use it in a more sustainable fashion throughout the year? We do, um... Um, it's it's really—there's been a lot of great partnerships with experts in the community, and one really great one um, is with the extension office, Sue Berg, um, who for quite a few years has done a canning and jamming class with us where um, a group of patrons and community members come in and learn how to can tomatoes and make peach jam, and it's a you know, very popular class and a very simple method, and she's just an expert, so we've been really lucky to, to be able to offer that. If somebody would like to learn more about that, what would they do? Um, well, they could always, you know, be in touch with, with me um, personally, and then I could connect them. That's a nice thing about being in this position is I I kind of know who the experts are and different things like that. And they could be on our website watching the class postings. That canning and jamming class is a class that we um, offer uh, annually. Mm-hmm. So, And we're hoping to add um, – Uh, a solar drying and general food preservation class sometime in this next season Um, and I'm also teaching a fermentation class which is another method of food preservation that's going to be through People's University in August Um, and our website address is mhcfoodpantry.org and you can see a whole list of all of our classes and the classes that we do through People's University on there. And your phone number? Um, 355-6843. Okay,
0: Okay, we've got all that uh, basic information out (laughs) there now. I want to remind our listeners that we're talking with uh, three people from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. Um, This is a little different kind of program today. We're going to talk to them until about 1230. Then we have another topic after the break. A lot of times people wait until after the break to call in their questions. So I would encourage you to call in your questions now. About uh, the uh, local food pantry, Mother Hubbard's covered. if you have questions for them. The number is again 8550811 or 877 285 9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I want to talk about the gardens a little bit more. And uh, Maggie, you're with the local, local Growers Guild. Uh, what, uh, what do you guys do in terms of these local community gardens? Who works at the gardens, and what kind of a, a yield do
5: you have?
4: Well, we we have three Mother Hubbard's Cupboard Gardens, and we've been lucky enough to um, work with Parks and Recreation with their community gardens. Um, we have a very large section of the Crestmont Community Gardens, um, but those, those are overseen, and the land is donated to us from Parks and Recreation. Um, and so the rest of those are community members, and then Brad Drake um, runs that program. And then at the Harmony Garden, we have, um, you know, that's obviously part of the Harmony Elementary School and um, a partnership with the staff there. Maggie can tell you more about the Local Growers Guild. The Local Growers Guild is a cooperative
3: of small farmers. In Monroe County and surrounding counties, a lot of the folks that sell at the Bloomington Community Farmers Market, some of them sell through CSAs or to area restaurants or all kinds of different arrangements. And we're kind of working on a different level at the sort of Commercial farmer level. I mean, we're still talking pretty small farms, people that really like that direct contact with the consumer. But we're trying to build up that part of the picture. And one of the things a lot of our farmers do is with the Plant a Row for, a hung- for the Hungry program through the Hooter Hills Food Bank, they'll donate any extra produce that they are not able to sell at the farmer's market. And a lot of that gets routed to Mother Hubbard's Cupboard since they have such great facilities for handling that fresh produce. Um, there 's also a new program starting this year with Hooter Hills Food Bank that will be a gleaning program that will allow some volunteer crews to actually go out to the farms and collect extra produce that the farmer was not able to harvest either it 's too small or too ugly for market but still perfectly edible. Um, and they 're also starting to look into some of those food preservation options. How can we rescue every single zucchini and tomato that comes to us in August?
6: Mm-hmm.
0: and
3: I think there are some <clears throat> possibilities for doing a lot of great work
0: do you have a a, a partnership or some sort of program with Midway House?
3: You I've, are thinking of the community kitchen project i yeah. 'm um, sorry, the incubator kitchen, the middleway house has the old Coca-Cola building on Washington Street, and that is being renovated to be a new facility that's got a lot of different components. But the one that we're most interested in is it will be a commercial kitchen that will primarily house Middleway Food Works, which is their catering business. But it will also be available for farmers and entrepreneurs and community members to come in and make their own value-added products, their canned goods or their frozen goods or dried or fermented, all kinds of different things in a facility that makes it legal to be resold to the public. So we're really excited about all the possibilities that that will open up. And so that program, Middleway House is obviously the biggest player, but they've been working with Mother Hubbard's Covered, Local Growers Guild, City of Bloomington, Parks and Recreation, um, Center for Sustainable Living, Purdue Extension.
4: Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Hoosier
3: Hills Food Bank. SCORE, Seed Corp and I hope I'm not overlooking anyone, but it's a big, big community project.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a, a pretty fabulous uh, project that, that hopefully will will just get bigger mm-hmm. as time goes on. Okay, we have a phone call. Let's go to Steve on the phone. Steve?
5: Hello. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, uh, first, I want to thank Mother Hubbard's for all the services that you provide to the community. And um, I assume uh, you're, you're always looking for volunteers, um, I think they're shaking their heads, heads? heads, yes. yes. <laughs>
2: Are you interested in volunteering with us?
5: Um, I may be, yes. Um, and well, I just wanted to throw that out so people knew there was an opportunity to, to volunteer if they wanted to. And um, I don't really have another question, but uh, a comment. Um, I found from my own experience with gardening and growing my own food, it's not just... Uh, you know an economic or food security issue i I get a real psychological or spiritual benefit from working in the earth and growing something from seed to maturity and um, uh, I just wondered if you if your patrons get that kind of uh experience when they volunteer.
4: It's interesting that you said that because um, I was an IU student and uh, it was my my studies that got me into gardening. I actually had um, uh, an individualized major in uh, spiritual eco-humanism, which in its own way was kind of spiritual environmentalism. And I grew up in the suburbs and... Um, found that getting involved with forest activism and gardening um, changed the way that I saw the world. And so that's what got me into gardening originally. And, I, yes, I think gardening is incredibly transformative, and we, we do see that with, with our volunteers that come into the garden. It's a huge part of it.
5: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, well,
0: thank you. All right, Steve, thanks a lot for the call. 855 877 877-285-9348, and noon at indiana.edu. You
1: know, I think we should mention that our <clears throat> three panelists here today are, are knowledgeable, they're well-spoken, passionate young women, and I'm, I'm kind of struck by how young each of you are, and I'd like to know a little bit about how um, you got so far into this so early.
2: Go ahead and jump in there. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I graduated and just sort of propelled myself into the food world. I traveled through Europe and worked with small farmers and came back and was just really energized about bringing that – That knowledge of growing food to young people who didn't maybe know about it. So I started working in South Brooklyn with young kids and then again in California. And it's just been food, 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 food since since I got out of college. And when I ended up in Bloomington, there's so much that's going on here between the farmer's market and the guild and all of our great social services here. It was, it's just quite easy to get involved. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's for me. Okay. Yeah, and like I said, I was an IU
4: student, um, and I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland and um, felt—I don't know, I just wasn't really very energized or successful in high school. And then I came to college and loved campus and loved all the flowering trees and just felt so energized and met all these people who were doing these wonderful things and got really involved and— I just yeah I I started working at Hilltop Garden and Nature Center and I got, you know, obsessed with organic gardening and it just became my life. And then I started volunteering with the Mother Hubbard's Cupboard Gardens and met wonderful people and uh, was the market master for a season and just, it became, you know, my, my obsession and, you know, so. You found your passion. Yeah. 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 And I haven't, you know, I haven't traveled. I've done all of my food work in Bloomington. So. (laughs) We're lucky to have you. Yeah. I feel lucky to be here.
3: um i 've always been interested in the environment, protecting the environment. I was into sustainable living before it became trendy and i've it seems like i 've approached it from many, many different angles. I actually have my degree from Purdue in agricultural engineering. I worked as an environmental consultant for several years. Um, I went out to Oregon to try and find some of those radical hippies i 'd been hearing about and I uh, <laughs> took a course in permaculture and eco village design that was really, really inspiring. And it got me thinking a lot more about food and how that's such a basic need and something that we can take for granted, but it's really a big issue in terms of impacting our environment and our health and just the way that we live our lives. And so when I came back to Bloomington, this is my hometown, I uh, started getting involved in local food and I started asking around to see what was happening. And like Brooke says, there is a lot going on in this town. And I kind of stumbled into the Local Growers Guild, and I've been really happy seeing helping farmers work together to try and come up with an alternative to uh, going to the grocery store and buying tomatoes that were shipped in from who knows where. And uh, I've really also enjoyed working with Mother Hubbard's Covered and seeing that other perspective of how do we help people in our community who maybe aren't in a position to go to the farmer's market or to the grocery store to get the food that they need.
1: I think we need to have these women back for a whole other show, yeah. On yeah. Us, because there are so many different directions that it would be fascinating to, to pursue this, yeah. but, but you're in a crisis situation really right now as far as your needs, so we, we probably should talk more about that. What, what avenues are you pursuing in order to meet
2: this crisis? Oh, aside well, from the gardening, right? Aside about. from the gardening, um, well, for us, it's it's always every single year we're looking to grow and expand our food pantry and how many people we can serve. We've we've always grown by at least fifteen percent every year. I mean, that's a lot of growth to keep up sure. with. So um, this year we've added a couple new fundraisers. Um, we have a community wide bike ride, the Hub Ride, coming up August, Saturday, August second. Um, there'll be more details forthcoming and on our website it'll be posted. Um, and we're also doing a silent auction early November, um, an evening event. Um, but for us, it's really about getting more people, raising awareness in the community and having more people come out and volunteer with us and support us in our special events. It's it's really a community project. We are powered by about 100 volunteers at this point. The majority of them of our, are our clients. And... Our, as far as financial support, we get about 60 percent of our cash budget from folks in the community. So we, we really rely on local support.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I want to mention uh, we only have maybe three or four minutes to go. And in your mission and goals, Mother Hubbard, Hubbard's Cupboards mission and goals, <laughs> uh, there are several things listed. Uh, but one, one I want you to talk a little bit about is empowerment. So there are some things listed under there in terms of patron choice, patron volunteers, and education. Could you talk about how that fits in?
2: Absolutely. Um, when all of our clients come through, it's it's very clear that it's there are easy ways to plug in and give back when it's comfortable for them and to whatever degree is comfortable for them. Um, and so, as I said, about eighty five percent of our volunteers are our are our clients, and um, we really encourage them to find ways that are meaningful. So if folks want to volunteer in the garden, that's great. If they want to take on special projects, that's fabulous. We have whole fundraisers that have been supported by our clients who want to give back in special ways. Um, and, and so it's, it's supporting them to find... Meaningful ways to give back, but it's also supporting them to find meaningful ways to move on and sort of get beyond this crisis or this hunger um, that they're experiencing in their lives. Mm-hmm. And part of that is giving them the skills to make healthier choices.
0: Yeah, I, and I think that's another thing that we maybe haven't stressed quite as much as we could have is the healthy choice issue of Mother Hubbard's uh, In comparison, perhaps with some other uh, pantries that do great work and they distribute food that they get, uh, usually non-perishable stuff. I think Mm -hmm. more often than not. But your goal is a little bit different in that you really want to be able to teach people about nutrition and provide an opportunity at nutritious food. Isn't that correct?
2: This yes, very true. Um, We quite often have sample tables in the pantry, so we have the we show patrons how to prepare fresh whole foods, and we also hand out nutritional information or have of um, dietetic students on site who can say, you know, this is actually this um, lacinato kale. It might look a little scary if you've never used it before, but it's actually so good for you. And look, it tastes good also. And here's a recipe. Take it home and here's some fresh produce from our garden. So um, there's a lot of that that goes on every day in the
0: pantry. So if if there's somebody out there now who maybe just finally went over the edge and decided, "I, I need to to supplement my food, I need. To, I would like to go to a food pantry and this sounds good to me. What could they expect if they walk through your door later on this afternoon?
2: Um, a very simple sign-in process, uh, a short orientation, and um, a, a sort of um, tour of our facility and they could get anything from... Um, some whole grain granola bars to uh, spinach from our garden and some salad mix, some potatoes and bananas and organic yogurt and milk and some frozen, maybe some frozen prepared foods. Mm
0: -hmm. And they just have a bag or a box and they just pick what they want? Yeah, they get a bag for each
2: person in their household and they can fill it with what they want from the pantry shelves. Mm
0: -hmm. And it does look a little bit like a grocery store. Yep,
2: Yep. we're set up like a grocery (laughs) store and all in all people spend maybe five minutes shopping and Mm -hmm. it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. Great.
2: Okay. All right, here's an email that came in.
1: It says, can you explain how or who works with clients for good nutrition on a budget?
4: Well, um, as the assistant director, I run the nutrition program. Um, and so we, you know, as we were saying, consistently have sample tables and handouts. Um, we do have a class that we're putting together right now um, that is talking about eating nutritiously on a budget. Um, and we're continually coming up with new ideas for that. And we hope to eventually have some kind of a series because that's such a big question. I mean, we our food the food that we have that is the most inexpensive is subsidized and usually is very, very processed um, and when we talk about whole foods, um, we're talking about organic um, foods that are right now a specialty gourmet food and um, difficult for peop- low income people to have access to really for a lot of people beyond just low income mm-hmm. people and um, so uh, we we hope to turn that around. I mean I think it's a pretty you know. It's a pretty intense thing we're doing by turning that around because mm-hmm. we're making those foods accessible to the people who have the least access. So we start there. We start by giving access in our pantry, but we move on by having education about growing that yourself, um, information about when the farmer's market started accepting food stamps. We we spoke to the line every day saying, you know, use your food stamps at the at the farmer's market. This is an amazing opportunity. So yeah, and I do hope to, to have that class intact soon. And it'll be up on our website.
0: Okay, last thing, because we do have to go. Uh, the web address, phone number, ways people get in touch with you.
2: Absolutely. Um, our website is www.mhc, or, yeah, www.mhcfoodpantry.org. And our phone number is 812-355-6843. You can also fill out an online volunteer application on our website under volunteer. And as Stephanie said, all of our classes are posted on there as well.
0: All right. I want to thank our three guests today, Brooke Gentile, Stephanie Solomon, and Maggie Sullivan. Stephanie Solomon and (laughs) Maggie Sullivan. Yeah. Now say Mother
1: Hubbard's Cupboard. All from Mother Mother
0: Hubbard's Cupboard. (laughs) It's a, a wonderful organization. I hope you'll support them. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. Thanks. back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we've just had a quick switch here in our studio, and we're going to be talking the second half of the program about the Salvation Army. It actually is National Salvation Army Week, and with us in the studio is Peter Iverson, who's Community Relations Coordinator, and we're expecting Captain Elmer Gamble soon. He's en route. So, Peter, welcome. Well, thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for being here. I'm sure that... uh, uh, there are a lot of things to talk about with the army too, because it's a it's a tough time. But let's talk first about National Salvation
7: Army Week. What's that mean? Absolutely, Do
0: you have local events or anything?
7: Oh, sure. Yeah, we've got a week just jam packed with uh, events. That's full of just lots of fun for the family. In fact, on Tuesday we had our annual Donut Day, and that was such a great event. We handed out free donuts and coffee, and we uh, in the afternoon we handed out uh, free hot dogs and some lemonade, and right there in front of uh, the Von Lee Theater, and it was just a great event. Over 500 people stopped by. Uh, just to say thank you to the Salvation Army. So it was a wonderful event. And then tonight we're going to be having our block party, and that's when we're going to be, uh, again, cooking out uh, right there in the Salvation Army parking lot on the corner of Rogers and Kirkwood, and uh, we'll be having all sorts of fun games for the family. Um, The National Tennis Association is going to be stopping by and bringing their tennis on tour, and that's a great way for the, the Tennis Association to teach tennis to kids. Yeah, that sounds pretty pretty fun.
1: Let's back up just a little bit because a lot of people uh, associate the Salvation Army mostly with a, a thrift store. Sure. Um, but let's talk about maybe more broadly the mission of the Salvation Army.
7: The mission of the Salvation Army is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. And that's one of the great things about the Salvation Army is written into the mission statement is a non-discrimination clause. And that's uh, what we do day in and day out. We have six different departments at the Salvation Army here in Bloom where we offer child care. We offer access to social services. We offer, of course, the thrift store. I have church every Sunday starting at 11 a.m., and our doors are open to everybody. We do not discriminate, and, and we try and help those who are, are seeking assistance.
1: So you don't have to be a Christian to take advantage of Salvation Army not, programs? Not
7: at all. No, we don't discriminate on on any basis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we, we've talked with uh, the last group
0: here, and we've talked last week. We had a show on health care. It seems like you know the, the Prices that are being driven up by, by the cost of gas and everything else, the economy in general, is causing some real difficulties for um, social service agencies and for individuals who need – those agencies. Are you experienced that kind of thing?
7: Absolutely. And, you know, as we look back over last month, we've noticed an uptick in the number of individuals seeking assistance from us. Uh, generally, we serve around 150 Hoosier families in our food pantry every month. And last year, we saw it bumped up to about 160. We've been getting uh, so many phone calls asking for gas assistance. Hmm. Um, we've no- definitely noticed an uptick in that. And um, unfortunately, it's just something with prices being where they are that we're unable to help with anymore. So. Um, We're definitely noticing that uh, the people who are seeking assistance are, are calling upon us quite a bit more. And, of course, we're, we're struggling, too, with gas prices. Uh, we have uh, two different summer camp options. Um, our child care operates during the summer, too. And we'd have, we've had to scale back some of our field trips just because of fuel costs. So um, it's, it's definitely hitting us, too.
0: Yeah. Well, let me give our phone numbers in case you have questions for Peter. 855-0811-877-285-9348. And send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We've
1: had some questions that came in via email. Let's get going on these. Um, the first. One One is, now that the IRS requires proof of cash donations, will you continue the red kettles at Christmas time?
7: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. The the red kettles are a staple of what the Salvation Army does in this community and all across the world. And um, we'll continue to partner with businesses in this community to help provide relief to families who need it.
1: You're completely branded with those red buckets. I mean, mean, (laughs) that's just everybody thinks of the red buckets in the Salvation Army. Is that your biggest source of uh, fundraising?
7: It's certainly one of the biggest. Yeah. Uh, This year, we set uh, a record here in Bloomington. We raised close to $300,000 in uh, about a month um, with the kettles. And that's certainly something we've never seen in Bloomington before. So we're, we're really excited about that. What do you attribute that to? Um, we attribute that to two things. Number one, we, we did something called a kettle kickoff, and that's where we had folks from the community come in and and donate some money, and, and that way is really fun. It's going to be happening again this year. And the other thing that we attribute it to is Captain Elmer Gamble um, is a really great organizer in terms of how he gets the volunteers out there, and, and so I guess I would say that it's definitely the volunteers who get out there and ring the bells, rain or shine.
0: You know, Mary Catherine, you and I were a team in that kettle kickoff, although you couldn't attend because of your mother, I think. Right, yeah. Things, things were not going very well right no. then. So, so your substitute and I, I think, came in about fifth. Fifth, well. Katie, Katie Weissmiller, the former IU volleyball. Coach.
1: Yeah, thanks, Katie. That she was great, great of her to fill in for me at yeah. that time. But we'll we'll be back. I'll I'll if you'll have me back this year, unless I don't know. Unless you guys did such a good job, don't want me? I don't know. Should we go on with these yes, questions? Yes, please. All right. Uh, number two: Do you think the vast majority of future kettle contributors uh, will be those who file short form for federal taxes?
7: You know, it's it's so hard to tell um, because we have twenty different kettle locations throughout Mineral County. Mm-hmm. We we ring in Ellettsville, we ring all over Bloomington, and it's it's just so difficult to to you know to be able to determine uh, that at, at this point. So, yeah.
1: Okay. And the last question from this uh, emailer is: As kettle donations drop, do the mail in uh, do the mail in checks increase, or do people drop checks in the red kettles?
7: Well, I would I would certainly challenge the assumption that, that the donations are dropping. We've we've seen a record number of donations coming in, and most certainly people do drop checks in, and and we've been very blessed um, with some individuals dropping um, some very large checks in. But the Salvation Army is constantly diversifying its efforts to be able to provide assistance to those who need it. And one of the the great new things that we're doing now is we're having online kettles, and it's easier mm-hmm. than ever to sit at your home in the comfort of your own home and be able to give online. And you can set up. A a, a donation over a series of time or a one-time donation, um, but you definitely will be seeing that on our website which is bloomington.salvationarmyindiana.org
1: Now is the um, thrift store, and I'm sorry, is that the way you, is that what you call it? The the store that you, okay, the thrift store is that a, a positive income stream for you?
7: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's positive in a couple of different ways. Number one, it's a great way to reach out to the community and be able to recycle some of the materials that people use. I mean, uh, having the students leave town is a great way to bring in all of those items. Having people doing their spring cleaning, we're able to then turn those items around, sell them back to the public, and be able to use those proceeds to benefit the child care and uh, things like our food pantry. So,
1: And you employ people in the process?
7: Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the great, great ways that we uh, bring in people who are looking for a job or, are, you know, in that field or are transitioning. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's mm-hmm. a great department.
0: We have a phone call, so let's go to Beth on the phone. Beth?
5: Does the Salvation Army have a policy of not discriminating against um, either employees or clients on the basis of sexual orientation?
7: the Salvation Army in terms of whether you come into the Salvation Army and are seeking assistance we do not discriminate on on those bases um, you know it, we the way that our social services offer or our child care um, is is set up is that if you need assistance if uh, you're you you know you're a single mom and you need a place for your child to stay during the day so you can hold him you know a gainful employment you know we're going to help you out if you need food if you need clothing you need help with your rent you need help with with um, utility assistance, we're definitely going to help you out. Now, sometimes we we may not be able to actually write a checkout or give that direct financial assistance, but we will always point you in the direction where you need to go.
5: Well, that's good to hear. Does the same go for your hiring policies?
7: Yes, it, it does. Um, we, we go through a rigorous hiring process where we make sure that we hire only the best and the most qualified to look after the children, but also, you know, to to help with the thrift store and to make sure that we're providing the assistance that individuals need in, in a compassionate manner.
5: Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I ask because some faith-based organizations haven't been willing to do that, so I'm glad to hear the Salvation Army is doing that.
7: Sure, sure. Well, thanks for calling.
6: Thank you. All right.
0: Thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at
7: indiana.edu.
1: What's the biggest challenge ahead of you uh, in the foreseeable
7: future? The biggest challenge for for us is dealing with this economic um, downturn that we're seeing. Um, You know, we depend on donors to be able to to not only provide the financial resources to provide assistance, but also material assistance. And with the letter carrier. Carriers food drive that just occurred, mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely see that as an indicator of what's happening economically. So um, we definitely Let's see talk that.
1: about that a little okay, bit Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
7: yeah. Um, of course, the letter carrier's food drive happened this past Saturday. And uh, we, you know, Salvation Army is certainly a partner organization with, with that. We benefit from that food drive. And um, as is reported in the Herald Times, uh, the, the donations were down around 30 percent from last year. So, um, you know, some of the online comments on the Herald Times website seemed to indicate that folks didn't know it was happening or, or that um, they just couldn't give at this point because of economic reasons. So whatever the reasons are, um, the donations were down.
0: Yeah. Julio yeah, uh, you know, Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank sent me a note. Um, I guess it was yesterday. And actually, the, the donations were down significantly, but they did come back a little bit. I think they wound up collecting 33, 000, about 33,000 pounds of food. Last year, it was 43,000. But uh, for last year was a record year, yeah. and you know perhaps our efforts to get the word out weren't as good as they were the year before, or whatever. But but I think you know that that may be a little bit of it. But it's
7: also this economic. Downturn. It has mm-hmm. to be right, right. Yeah. Well, and you know, even that that much helps because that the the food bank distributes that amongst food pantries across the county, and that certainly is is a benefit. But we've gotten to the point where we're now um, purchasing some food for our, for our food pantry, much as Hoosier Hills is doing, um, because we just. You know, we can't keep it stocked all the time.
1: Let's talk about your child care um, initiative and who qualifies for that and, and the location and just give us some information if you will.
7: All Salvation Army programs are on the corner of Rogers and Kirk. Kirkwood right here in Bloomington. We've got about a one block area where we hold, like I said, six different departments. The child care is a registered ministry with the state of Indiana. Um, we accept um, six week old um, all the way through six years. So we go all the way from infants to preschool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a great program. Um, we provide three meals every single day at no cost to parents through the child and adult care food program. And, um, and we offer a, a great curriculum that um, incorporates not only some of the Christian values that the Salvation Army holds but also um, you know, a, a decent curriculum that incorporates the children learning through the use of their five senses to, to be able to go on to kindergarten and be successful.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've mentioned so far, we've talked about the child care mm-hmm. mission, the thrift store mission, the food pantry mission. You also mentioned um, meals mm-hmm. are served. What are the other two departments? Or
7: We've got, um, of course, our church, um, which is is open at 11 o'clock every single Sunday. Um, and the church has been meeting here in Bloomington since uh, 1907. So people have been worshiping in the Salvation Army Church for 101 years. And it's just been a, it's a great ministry. And there's some people um, in that church who have just, just been very strong and, and uh, been spreading that, that gospel. So that's been wonderful. The other area that we haven't talked about yet is our Youth Ministries Department. And the Youth Ministries Department is really important this time of year because that's where our summer camps come from. Uh, we offer two different summer camping opportunities. One is a day camp called Summer Adventure Camp right here in Bloomington, at the corner of Rogers and Kirkwood. And the other one is an overnight camp down near Bedford. It's called Hidden Falls Camp. And for only $30, uh, people can send their kids for one week transportation food, everything's incorporated um, to Hidden Falls Camp for one week.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Now,
7: now, Captain Elmer Gamble is the
0: pastor of the church, correct?
7: It's true, yeah. yeah. Um, when officers are ordained in the Salvation Army, they go through a, a training process. And um, once they complete that, they are ordained as ministers and as well as core administrators. So um, the Salvation Army is run by usually a husband and wife team. Uh-huh. And in that way, the Salvation Army is really unique because it places women in a very, very high um, role of, of leadership. Um, and they, they're both— Ordained to to preach on Sunday mornings, and they offer all, all sorts of counseling. So,
1: so okay, I've never really understood this. So, pardon my ignorance <laughs> on sorry. this, but this—that's what this, we do best. Yeah, <laughs> <Ignorance. that's>, that <laughs> is my best strong suit, definitely. But the so there, the Salvation Army is. Kind of its own um, branch of Christianity is that one way to put it? Or help me understand this?
7: Okay, uh, Salvation Army—it's it, a church, but it's not its own denomination. Okay. Um, it, it's a universal part of the Christian church—is the way that the mission statement puts it. And what that means is that uh, we're open to everybody and anybody, regardless of, of course, their backgrounds or or their their belief system. To in order for us to again spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way the Salvation Army was started was William Booth in England began to to take the, the gospel to people who were in East London, who are in a very poor part of town. And um, at the same time, he and his wife, Catherine, began to feed them and provide them material assistance. And that's what we do here in Bloomington, you know, 150 years later. We're doing the exact same thing.
1: Where did the army motif come from?
7: Uh, well, uh, it was in uh, 1865 when William um, William Booth, who is the founder, and his son were putting together a, a newsletter of sorts, and the um, and the the newsletter read "A Volunteer Army,"
6: mm-hmm. and
7: um, instead of putting "Volunteer Army," his son changed it to "Salvation Army" to reflect the religious um, emphasis of the, of the organization.
0: So, how is it? Um, you know, how is it organized now? I, I, and, and this will get us into another topic, and that is, I know. Um, that Captain Gamble and his wife have been here for for probably about five years uh, they 've been here three years, three years mm-hmm. okay and how long do people stay because these uh, the the leadership of the Salvation Army is here for a while and then they get transferred to someplace else and then someplace else and someplace else, right? uh,
7: Yeah, I like to relate it to the United States Diplomatic Corps. Um, most diplomatic stays are, are for a couple of years and they get moved to another location in order to make sure that they remain fresh. And it's the same way with the Salvation Army. Uh, we make sure that you know, a set of officers doesn't become too comfortable in, in their location and keeps them fresh and keeps them innovative. Mm-hmm. And so um, the captains have received their their marching orders and they'll be moving to eastern Michigan um, to, to work over in eastern Michigan. I see. Yeah.
0: When, so, how long, when are they going to be gone?
7: Uh, they'll be leaving um, mid-June. Mid-June? Yep. So it's and coming then, right up. Yeah, it's coming up pretty quickly and then we'll have a new set of officers um, about a week later. So who determines these marching orders? <laughs> uh, the Salvation Army— Are there
0: generals in the Salvation Army? Or? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, set up yeah. much
7: like the, the military is. Um, and What happens is the United States is divided up into different territories. There are four different territories and each territory is divided into divisions and each division is divided into a corps and, of course, this is the Bloomington Corps and so um, there are individuals— and those upper echelons who make those decisions as, um, as they look at the different um, circumstances on the ground. So...
1: And so, what's your role? How do you fit into the whole organizational structure?
7: Well, I'm I'm an employee. So okay. um, we should
1: say that you don't have a uniform on. No, Usually I'm not we, a uniform. We mm-hmm. have, you know, when you think of Salvation Army people, you th- you picture them in the traditional navy blue uniform, but you're in regular street clothes. That's
7: right. That's right. And that's because uh, I have not um, been through the Salvation Army Training College. I'm not ordained within the Salvation Army. Um, I'm an employee. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, we have a phone call, and
0: it's John. John, go ahead.
6: Uh, Hello. Uh, uh, When I crossed the uh, corner of uh, Liberty Drive and Highway 45 there, a few hundred feet from Sam's Club, there was a couple of young girls. Uh, I'm uh, 66, so everybody looks young to me, but I guess they were (laughs) 12 and 15 maybe, uh, holding a sign saying uh, sick and hungry or something like that. Do you folks have an outreach program where if somebody reports that to you, you could go and check them out if you can do anything for them?
7: Absolutely. And one of the nice things about living in Monroe County is there are so many options for people to receive food and other types of assistance. And one of the things that we encourage folks to do is to refer them to the Salvation Army or other social service agencies that can provide them immediate assistance.
6: Well, I'm doubtful that that would work in some of these cases because I figure they can't afford cell phones and possibly don't have transportation. So that's why I use the word outreach to see if maybe you folks, upon receiving a phone call, could send someone there to interview them.
7: Uh, we, we most certainly would look into that possibility. Um, uh,
6: this was about two hours ago that they were there. Yeah,
7: and yeah.
1: these look like minors?
6: Yes, definitely minors.
1: Wow.
0: Peter, like- swing by there on your way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. that sounds no, I, like
1: something that yeah, police should be bad. aware of. Yeah, That's kind of scary.
0: Well, John, thanks for letting us know about that. You're welcome. Uh, appreciate it. Bye. Uh, bye-bye. All right. We have just five minutes left in the program, Eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. So is there a, a, a typical uh, client of your – food pantry or you know, can you describe the kinds of peop- people that seek services at the, at the army? No,
7: we don't have a typical client. Yeah. It's you know, it's your neighbor, it's um, the the person you see walking on the street. Um, we're there to serve everybody and anybody, and that's what we do. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, we don't, we can't even begin to stereotype who comes in. Sure. But um, yeah. what
0: you said last month, you had 150 families, I think, at the food pantry. Uh, about 160, yeah. Or last month was 160, and the month before that was 150. So. So mm-hmm.
7: it's it's going up it's, it's upticking yeah. yeah yeah um yeah so i i would say that's you know it's, i would i would say that the increase is is starting to be we're looking seeing more um elderly individuals oh, really? so yeah yeah
1: now that's i mean six pro- um programming areas is a lot i mean that's a lot of of uh, mission to undertake how many folks um both i guess employees and um Volunteers, do you have trying to get all this done?
7: Oh my goodness, we have around 30 employees at the Salvation Army, and our volunteer army is is just you know innumerable. We you know there are so many people that come out and generously give their time for the kettles. Um, we had over 200 individuals, groups, families come out and ring bells last year. Um, we, you know we've got just all sorts of of people coming out. So, but you know one of the easiest ways to get involved at the Salvation Army is to go to our website, and again that's blue. Wilmington.salvationarmyindiana.org and click on the volunteer tab. And one of the things that we've done now is begun to do online um, intakes. So you can now sign up for shifts online from the comfort of your own home.
1: That's great. Now in Monroe County, are you a United Way member agency? Yes. Yes. We are. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. So what percentage roughly of your budget do you receive from United Way?
7: I'm not sure of those percentages at this point, okay. but, but it's it's certainly a benefit to us. Sure. Yeah. OK. Yeah, I, I want to go back to the
0: kettles because that is what everybody thinks about. And, you know, I I've, I usually ring an hour or so for the kettle drive every year because I think it, it's fun and people are usually in a good mood. I'm always inside at the mall where it's warm. <laughs> you know. um, and it's really interesting to see the different people. And most of the – I think it's, this is probably a general – it is a generalization, but but most of the people that come up and give, it seems to me, are, are very young people, children. Yeah. A lot of times, of course, somebody will give. You know, their mom will say, "Here, mm-hmm. go put it in the, in the bucket." But it's certainly teaching them a, an interesting habit of giving. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But I, but I guess I'm sort of driving to this question about uh, Mary Catherine asks, you know, how much of your money, or, you know, does the kettle drive come in? But in a, in a broader sense, um, you know, people think about the Salvation Army around Christmas time because of the kettle drive. But you do have to have fundraising efforts all year long, don't you? I mean – and what other kinds of things do you – do you have?
7: Well, one of the easiest ways for individuals to donate to the Salvation Army and make sure that services continue here in Monroe County is to give online. Um, that's one of the easiest ways to do it. Uh, the, the other way um, that we really encourage people to do is to start looking to the future and make sure that the Salvation Army is included in your planned giving. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the best ways to ensure that those um, who, who really need the assistance can receive it. Mm-hmm.
0: I know you're operated by a local board of directors. I know Don Weaver and mm-hmm. Sue Talbot were the two people who were most involved with the uh, the
7: Kettle Kickoff last year. How big is the board? Do you know? uh, the board right now sits at, a, at about 30 people, um, so it's a, it's a decent sized board. And like you said, they're all quality people who who really just pour out their heart to make sure that the Salvation Army continues to help those in need. So. yeah, so.
0: Go ahead.
1: Well, no, I was just – obviously you need cash because that's the most flexible and you can access so many things with cash. But if you had a, a wish list, what else – what other kinds of uh, things would be on your wish list?
7: Uh, top five, number one would be food. Right, non-perishable food. Um, number two would be any type of um, personal items. Um, we find that's in, in big need in our, in our um, food pantry. Um, everything from toilet paper to feminine products to diapers to wipes, um, those mm-hmm. are in need. Sure. Uh, the third thing I would say is to keep those donations coming to the thrift store mm-hmm. uh, because those are, are a good source of oh, And you can revient. turn that
1: into cash. Right. Absolutely, right. Uh-huh.
7: absolutely. Yeah, the, the fourth thing I would say is classroom supplies for our youth ministries and the fifth thing I would say is is to go online and sign up for volunteer shifts um, because we cannot do it without volunteers. And what do the volunteers do? We have so many areas where volunteers can help. And in those six department areas, volunteers most certainly get to be plugged in. But um, at, we, we certainly try and find the niche of for each volunteer. So we had one girl come in. She's an Ivy Tech student the other day, and she really didn't fit in anywhere. So we just created a position for her. We truly we truly try to find a position for everybody inside of our organization. Mm-hmm. I would assume the food pantry has a lot of different things people could do, and child care has a lot of things people could do. Absolutely. So. And yeah. where we need volunteers absolutely the most is in our thrift store to make sure that those donations are sorted mm-hmm. and get moved out onto the floor for resale. I'm always so.
1: overwhelmed by the amount of uh, work that that looks like when it... You oh, know, yeah. I mean, it's they, a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To see it go from a big pile to, you know, very nicely displayed in the stores. I can only imagine the number of hours.
0: Yeah, are there kinds of clothing that you need more than others? or things that you're often short of? Uh,
7: You know, I would say that things that we're really, um, the people ask for quite a bit are things that we don't get a whole lot of, like bed springs and mattresses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, they need to be in good quality to be donated, so we don't just, you know, can't just dump them. But, but, and of course, in-season clothing, um, Mm -hmm. that's always good to have. Okay, we are out of time. Shoot. I know. Well, we'll
0: have you back sometime. It's been fun, yeah. All right. I want to thank Peter Iverson, Community Relations Coordinator for the Salvation Army, for being here with us today. Um, You've been listening to Noon Edition for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
5: Production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at wfiu.org.